Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Maucast. This will be episode number 41. Uh, there has been a lot of news coming out recently. Uh, 2021 continues to deliver when it comes to the crazy news weeks. Um, coming up this weekend, or I guess this past weekend, we've seen the Biden administration under fire again for increasing inflation numbers and uh, leaked audio regarding the border crisis. And in international news, the uh, country that was founded by criminals apparently is still run by criminals as the Australian government has deployed the military in order to enforce COVID lockdowns. So there's no shortage of craziness going on in this world, but the craziness that we're going to be focusing on tonight is the fall of Afghanistan. Um, as I'm sure pretty much all of you have heard at this point, Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan has fallen. The president has fled the country and it is complete and utter chaos as the Taliban has reestablished control in basically the entire country at this point. Um, before we get started tonight, if you like our content, please give us a like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you are on Twitch, give us a follow and make sure to leave a comment uh, throughout the stream and we will get to your questions, comments and concerns throughout. Tonight with us, we have Patrick Redmond, as always, looking good, Patrick. Uh, how's it going, James? You're looking pretty sexy yourself. Uh, of course, got that purple polo on. <laughs> and I've got my classic red workout shirt. Uh, I, I only ever wear these really comfortable shirts that my wife got me. She went out with her mom like, a couple months ago, and she was like, I need to update Patrick's wardrobe, because I just wear the same crap like year on year until it falls <laughs> apart, because I'm lazy and I have no sense of fashion. And anyway, so she went out and she bought me all this stuff. And I just completely replaced my whole wardrobe with it. That's why, like, if you guys look, go look back at all the videos, I'm wearing, like, the same five shirts in a row. So that's, you know, yeah, anyway. I, I never actually noticed that, but it's so adorable that she's updated your wardrobe after like, how many years. The thing is, I, my, my wardrobe in high school was always just my cross-country shirts and then cross-country hoodies. But then I started wearing flannels over the cross-country shirts. So, like, I was getting pretty fancy there. And then in, uh, in college, it was kind of just whatever i found at target that was under ten dollars so that's like, fair oh well, i've never really cared too much about uh my wardrobe just in general so that it, it is what it is um outside of just kind of switching up between flannels and, and hoodies that's fair i have my anyway it has nothing more. to do with what we're talking about here. no it does not we start with that start with something a little bit lighter uh, so, uh, you know, here at Nightmare, we want to leave fa uh, lead facts first. So, James, what was the statement Biden put out regarding the fall of Afghanistan? Absolutely. I so, summarize it. Summarize it for us because I don't want to hear the ums and the ahs. Oh no, of course not. So, long story short, he stands behind his decision to withdraw uh, to withdraw from Afghanistan, and he blamed the rapid fall of Afghanistan on the Afghan Defense Force. Um, uh, as we've seen over the last week or so, commanders have been uh, surrendering left and right, often without a fight. And um, I actually have... I, I thought it was just like this past weekend, though. Like, that's when everything basically went down. No. So, well, this weekend is when Kabul fell, but the advance actually began two weeks ago. Um, and it has been very rapid. Every single day, we've heard stories about more and more regional capitals falling, uh, it was just late last it was Wednesday or Thursday of last week when Kandahar fell, which was very significant because that's where the Taliban uh, was was founded. And now on Sunday, early Sunday morning, our time, uh, yeah. the Afghan president um, fled the country. 
saying that he did not want any more bloodshed. We have no idea where he is at this point, by the way. And the Afghan or in the uh, Afghan military just stood down. The Taliban waltzed into the presidential palace and were holding press conferences earlier today, claiming victory. And then, of course, the only place where there's any semblance of control, American control left is the airport. And that's com in complete chaos because thousands of Afghans are trying to escape the Taliban. Um, yeah, but, but that aside, what did Joe Biden have to say about this? Like, what did our what did our commander in chief? The adults are back in the room, James. There's no more mean tweets. We have wrestled control of the government away from a small-handed uh, little orange child. What is he saying? Is he taking responsibility for for this debacle? You know, as I expect he would, considering again, like I said, the adults are back in the room. They're back in charge. Like I'm sure uh, Jen Psaki is out there, you know, working really hard to try to, you know, build up relations with the media. I'm sure that there's a lot of, you know, uh, concern regarding what's going to happen to these reporters that are out there. What is what is Jen Psaki saying? What is Joe Biden saying? What's the statement coming out of there? Well, Jen Psaki's on vacation. She what? Jen Psaki's on, right on vacation? What do you mean Jen Psaki's on vacation? I thought she was... I, I thought we had competent leaders. What do you mean you're going on vacation when one when a country falls under our watch? Well, this is this is this is something that a lot of people have been pointing out online recently, and that is Jen Psaki's on, been on vacation all weekend, has not returned. Her out of office is still on, and you know it was only a couple months ago when the, we had a historic cold front go through Texas. Ted Cruz was on his way on on, on vacation, and it happened, and he turned around, he came back. Jen Psaki still don't know where she is. You know, Biden was on vacation at Camp David. It, they called it a working vacation. He is back at least um, to give this brief statement where he basically says that he stands by his decision. He blames the Afghan military for collapsing. Um, and he, he, he said he claims his share of responsibility. And that's in quotes. Um, but he cannot and will not ask our troops to fight on endlessly in another country's civil war despite the fact that it's kind of a war that we started in the first place. So, um, yeah, yeah, not a well, whole lot but, of confidence James, coming from James, the White House. Sure, right assuredly, he's sending in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that under Joe Biden's watch, there is just, you know, order. They, we're making sure that we're taking our allies out of there. We're making sure that women and children are protected as we leave. We're making sure that, you know... Uh, if I remember correctly, the, the deadline was pushed back so that we could, you know, uh, uh, prepare for longer, you know, to ensure a peaceful transition of power over to the Afghanis. Like, uh, are you going to tell me that, you know, we're not supporting them in any way? I would like to direct you to the article <laughs> that is currently on the screen. Kabul falls, Afghanistan burns from the Daily Beast. Answer is no, we are yeah, not. Of course, of course I know all the answers to all these questions. Yeah, I, I know, know you do. Yeah. Dumpster fire the, right now. the sarcasm in your voice is absolutely yeah, If palpable. you weren't able to pick up on that, then I, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Yeah, no, it's it is an absolute mess, and you know Joe Biden is right about one thing. It, it is you know the Afghan military completely folded. There's a quote, and this is from the Daily Beast in here. Uh, they interviewed um, an Af a member of the Afghan military, and he says, and "I've got a highlight on the screen right here." A 30 year old Afghan soldier from Jalalabad. Uh, who was just 10 when the U.S. freed his country from the, from the Taliban's grip, told the Daily Beast, quote, he can't believe what happened. On Saturday night, he says he and his contingent were told by their, by their superior to surrender. Quote, we did. We had a plan to fight for a while, but no one asked us, for, asked us to fight. This is the most ridiculous moment of my life. 
He said he and other soldiers wanted to fight. Quote, this is this is a drama that happened and we still have no idea what will be the fate of our country. So it seems that just based off this, you know, one lone soldier's quote, the military itself was interested in fighting, but its commanders weren't. It was complete ineptitude from the Afghan government, all Afghan government and their military's commanders and a complete lack of support from the U.S. military. Uh, by the way, Milo was on the counter behind you. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> no, and and I, I know what you're saying here, and I, and I 100% agree with you. And I think that it, you know, like I said, we want to leave facts first. So I want to elucidate the situation because some people might not understand. Uh, you know, we've spent, uh, what was it, like a couple billion? A, a couple, like, I think it was somewhere around like 30 billion, 20 billion. I think it was closer to a trillion dollars from some of the stories well, that I've written. That might, that might be slight over-exaggeration. Uh, regardless... Um, we spent a, a pretty penny over over one trillion U.S. dollars. Like there this is go. from a senior Afghan official. One hundred fifty thousand Afghan lives, three thousand NATO soldiers' lives, twenty years of reconstruction efforts, and over one trillion U.S. dollars. It is the beginning. Of, it is the beginning of hopelessness and bottomless uncertainty for the long-suffering Afghans. Yeah, and I want to I want to explain a little bit more detail why it's this bad. Okay, we've been in there for twenty years nothing really to show for it at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll get in, I think we'll get into like what we think are solutions, which I'm sure are going to be a little bit different um, considering I'm more of an isolationist. You're more of an imperialist, which I know you don't mind that. No, <laughs> I, I mean, why watch a, what episode, what two? I, yeah, I openly yeah, say you'll, that. You'll get, you'll get a, you'll, I'm still consistent with that. Um, but again, so uh, important to note, first of all, before, right at the top, I want to say some people, some, uh, Afghanis, some Americans are not being evacuated because they've get on civilian airliners uh, because they haven't shown a, a COVID test, which I think is just the most ridiculous thing in the world. Again, we're still on that COVID train where, oh, well, I know that the city's on fire and you're trying to escape, but you need to get a COVID test. <laughs> like, what? I wanna, I'm I sorry. That's insane. I want to point out that the situation on the ground in Kabul is so bad at the airport is so bad that Afghanis are running onto the air onto the uh, the tarmac trying to jump onto U.S. military planes as they took off so yeah. they could take them with them. And, and I want to point out that those Afghanis are all men, and I and that has that's a point that I want to I want to make in the future. Uh, and uh, uh, well, as we get further and further into this topic, but I do think it's important to point out. There are no women and children jumping on the plane. It's all a bunch of young men that are fighting age. Anyway, continue. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's that's something to point out that, that they're not standing up. They're not fighting for their country. I mean, granted, I don't think that most of these people trying to escape are members of the, yeah. of the Afghan Defense Force. But we, you know, I, I'm torn because we'll talk about this a little bit more later about our solutions. But you know, it's not our job to fight their war. Yeah, okay, them, okay. I, I get but... that. You know, it's not our job. It's not our job. And I'm going to definitely agree with you on that. But I, again, I want to go with the facts first here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read through a couple of, couple yeah, of things ahead. that I've prepared. Okay, okay. Um, so first of all, the last combat death was on February 8th, 2020. And that's combat death for American soldiers. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been slaughtering the Taliban the whole time. But that's oh, because yeah. they suck. And there are a bunch of Stone Age little barbarians that are running around in the mountains going, Whoa! So, and I don't mind that because I don't like the Taliban. So if you're like, oh, well, that's... And no, you say, shouldn't like the Taliban. Yeah, if you're going to defend the Taliban and you think me calling them a Stone Age barbarian saying, then uh, you're on the wrong side. I'm sorry. 
Just to be clear, oh, yeah, if you're supporting yeah. the Taliban, you're supporting the side that just shot up a, a, a girls' school last week and well, with yeah, girls it's inside. Not just last week, they shoot it up every single month. They shoot. I know, but that's you know that was yeah. the most anyway. News uh, I'm too feminist to support the Taliban. I have to say. Uh, anyway, so that was the last American um, uh, soldier combat death. We only had, I believe, 3,500 soldiers there in the whole country. At last I checked. Um, we now have more because we've sent 5,000 more in there to secure the escape. But, you know, that's besides the point. We're actually um, in the process of that, mind you. Only 2,500 are currently there because yeah. they couldn't, they, they're now running out of places to land they're running out troops. Of, they're running out of safe landing zones. Yes. Because we've just surrendered. And we, not only have we surrendered territory, we've surrendered equipment, we've surrendered vehicles. There are vehicles driven by the Taliban that have the uh the insignia of the armed forces the insignia of the intelligence community on them it's not just like oh there's one of our humvees it's a humvee that says you know united states army or whatever you know it, it's yeah. a humvee that has our name on it besides just being one of our make and models like it's difference between oh isis is driving a, a like in a 1998 toyota pickup truck with a 50 cal machine gun on the back and Oh, the Taliban's driving around a Humvee that until last week we had control over <laughs> and has all of our equipment and all of our stuff in there. Yeah, okay. So they have all of our equipment. They have they're just taking land. Do you want to can you pull up that, that map that I that I had you pull up? Yes, sir. Yeah. So this is the difference in the last month. The red is the territory that they control. And for those of you guys that can't see it, there's effectively three hundred and ninety-eight um, I believe counties or territories mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly how they they determined this but as of july 9th 167 of them were contested 141 were controlled under the government um which is basically uh, a, a loose alliance of i believe northern tribes uh supported by the united states so uh, in this case the good guys quote unquote, well right? there is I, I will like to draw a distinction there's a difference between government controlled and uh the the tribal warlords that we that we support that work with the government um i'm pretty sure here it's referencing some uh, actually un, like res, that report to kabul yeah sure R regardless regardless the good guys right the blue yeah. is the good guys here <clears throat> and that is 141 territories and the taliban only controlled 90. so as of august 16th which is today um if you <laughs> if you look at this they're uh contested Good news is down to only seven territories. Only seven territories are now contested between the government uh, and the Taliban. There are zero territories under the government's control. And there's 391 territories under the control of the Taliban in less than a month. And most of this movement, as far as I'm aware, is in the last week to the last 90 hours. Um, yes, so. it's 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 increased at dramatic speeds because July 9th, it was still before our quote-unquote... like. There were all these stories in uh, mid-July about our exodus in the middle of the night. Just kind of a lot of we just started yeah. abandoning bases, and then it's only been the last couple of weeks that they've really ramped up their their offensive. So this has not been a slow grind over the last couple of months, like when ISIS was taking territory from Iraq and Syria, where they actually had to fight for it. The Taliban is just walking in, and yeah, because taking. nobody wants to oppose them. Like that's the thing, and 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 it's not that these people are necessarily a bunch of cowards. Um, it's that we've trained them poorly, okay? And, and uh, how are you going to say that we trained them poorly? We're the most effective fighting force the world has ever seen. I know. We trained them as if they were the most effective fighting force that the world has ever seen, which they're, the Afghanis are not. Newsflash, 
um they are not any like necessarily better trained than um than the than the taliban are um they just, they just have um, better equipment they have yeah they have better equipment but that's about it they, i mean they don't know how to do jumping jacks like that's how and that's not like saying that they're dumb or anything like that it's just that the our training for our soldiers is like the gold standard regardless we have trained them to be used to using air support which is what we do our our uh fighting force is incredibly good at using armor using air support using naval support we use every facet of the military that we possibly can we use in afghanistan for example primarily we use air support all over the country there are certain bases that we gave to the Taliban or not the Taliban. Uh, they're now under Taliban control, but yeah. that we gave to uh, Kabul that you could only resupply using airplanes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's how dependent our military there was on the air force. Okay. And which is great for us because I think we have the uh, most powerful and the second most powerful air force uh, in the world. And the second most powerful air force is the Navy. Like the oh, amount okay. of planes that the Navy has is the second most powerful air force. Okay, like we're good with the planes. Like we have no problem using planes. It was not a hindrance to us. In fact, it was a boon because we were able to mobilize so quickly. That's why we had so few troops there because they could get all over Afghanistan mm-hmm. fairly quickly as opposed to any other uh, fighting force in the, in the area. Yeah, However, our, our military's fa- favorite catchphrase is force multiplier. Yes, force multiplier. We multiply <laughs> the force all over the place. Um, regardless... We also are supported by independent and private contractors. And they do, honestly, from what I've heard, most of the fighting in the area. So most of the dying, most of the shots and everything like that are done apparently by private contractors. I have yet to confirm this. This just happens to be what I've heard. Well, yeah. I will. So I've actually done a little, quite a bit of research okay, into that. You so, can correct me here if I'm wrong. Um, fun fact, mer- private contractors are another are another uh, term for mercenaries. Mercenaries are illegal per the Geneva, uh, third Geneva Convention. Yeah, but exactly. the United States and the UK did not sign that, so it doesn't apply to us. So we rebrand mercenaries as private military contractors. Um, however, they are only... They, they are typically only used to um, in policing duties and to defend points because if they are used in an offensive operation, they do not receive protection, uh, POW protection. So uh, the United States tends to not use private military contractors to take territory, only to maintain security in an area once, once it's been taken over. Yeah. And I think it's important to note as well that uh, these, the, the, Benghazi, for example, the uh, 13 hours, those people, the heroes there were private military contractors, if I'm not mistaken. Most of our embassies are defended by a contingent of Marines and um, private military contractors. Yeah. And, that, and, and it just goes to show, like, like, again, our military just is incredibly efficient and uses whatever tools that they have at their disposal. Uh, you know, it just it just goes to show. But the reason I'm talking so much about the Air Force is we just took it away from them. <laughs> like we just said, all right, so we've trained you guys the last 20 years to be reliant on this Air Force to resupply bases, to transport troops, to provide airstrikes, to basically function, okay, as a military. And Joe Biden said, well, you're not getting that anymore. So then they said, okay, well, if we can't use your Air Force, which we were, and that's why we were being successful, let's, you know, why do, can we have your private military contractors uh, can you give them permission to support our air force? Because you know Bob over here was tending goats six months ago. He doesn't know how to uh, repair an F-16, you know, or whatever they have over there at this point. 
Um, so why don't we get, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Black Black Arrow? Nah, it used to be Blackwater. It's now Blackwater. Academy with an Whatever. I. Anyway, let's, I'm just going to say Blackwater because I know what that's called. Uh, let, let's get Blackwater over here and they, they know what they're doing. So why can't, and Joe Biden goes, no, I'm not allowing private military contractors to help you guys out. So they just don't have an Air Force now, which is their, their entire military strategy is contingent on that, which is why they're all just retreating because they're like, okay, well, um, as a commander of this force, I have no idea what to do because I've been trained to call in an airstrike, you know, or transport my troops using the Air Force. But now we can't do that because Joe Biden has taken that away. And I would also like to point out that the Taliban in the last few months has done a phenomenal job at assassinating as many of the Afghan Air Force's pilots as possible. Yeah. Quite a few have been killed um, in car bombs and just straight up shootings in the last couple of months. And so they've been deprived of any <laughs> of their trained pilots. Yeah, so like they effectively are just being hamstrung by the Taliban, obviously because they're fighting them, but also just by us. Like we're just completely screwing them over. And James brought up that it cost one trillion over the last twenty years. However, in the last year, it um it made up about one percent of our budget, like the actual cost. I like, and that's where I'm getting. I think my twenty to thirty billion from. It could be a little higher than that. Um, don't quote me necessarily on that, but I do know it costs roughly around one percent this year considering how much Biden's spending, it would cost less than half a percent of our budget in um, in uh, Afghanistan, which is a lot of money, but apparently we don't really care because we're just burning it at home anyway. So whatever. Um, money printer go burr. Yeah, money printer go burr. Again, like I mentioned before, we were supposed to withdraw 3.5K troops. Now we're sending in 5,000 more, but as James said, only 2,500 have made it because if you look at the map, there's nowhere to land. Yeah. Um, and... It's just, it seems to be that we just said, see ya, <laughs> like just left for, we had no plan. It does not look like there was a plan. You cannot tell me you see uh, all of the, you know, these people jumping on the airplane and you see people getting airlifted from roofs and crap that we had a concise plan as to how to get people out of there. It's just, or that we had a, a transition of control essentially. Cause we were really like, I know we, I know they have a government, but like, really, we were in control. Don't now. I mean, you know. so first off, this is this is being compared a lot to the fall of Saigon. Um, and the Biden admin has come out today. Um, was it uh, the National Security Advisor came out and said that this isn't this is unequivocally not Saigon. Yeah. Um, however, we are, you know, using helicopters to evacuate people from rooftops it's and the city gone, is being over. The entire government has fallen. We're airlifting people off of rooftops and, uh, you know, we're just, everything's, everything's just going to hell in a handbasket. But it's not Saigon. It's oh, not yeah. Saigon. No. It, this, it, this is absolutely the 21st century Saigon. <laughs> and yeah. it is an embarrassment. And uh, there wasn't a plan. I mean, we've, no. here's the thing. We, President Trump signed the deal with the Taliban last year that would get us out of Afghanistan. And part of that agreement was that they would help to fight uh, terrorism within their own country um, and a number of other things that they would try to work with the Afghan government. But the it, it seems like the intention always was, OK, we're going to withdraw. We're sure we know there's going to be fighting. We know the Taliban is probably going to reclaim a lot of the countryside, but the Afghan military should be able to hold the city, should be able to maintain their infrastructure, yeah. and hopefully should be able to wear the Taliban down over time now that we're out of there. However, 
the fact that we completely and Trump has come out by the way and said this is not this is not how his his plan was was designed to go down. It his had significantly more support for the Afghan military, a more of a gradual drawdown as opposed to in the middle of July us going, "Hey, we're out. Bye." Um and I in the middle no, of the night too. I, yeah, I, it was I, I literally in the middle of the enough. night. I don't know if we can stress that enough. And I, I think that if the Taliban had gotten to the outskirts of Kabul, I'm I have no doubt in my in my mind that Trump would be like, "All right, just level the entire freaking thing." He would just start dropping all bombs of Kabul with all the civilians in there. Is that what no. you're saying? Or no, no. you're saying level I mean, the entire Taliban? Yeah, level the entire Taliban, every single cave that they crawled out of, because he would not you know he's he's you know a little bit tougher than our current dementia ridden president is um this is i cannot i cannot overstate how much of a disaster this withdrawal yeah. has been and it is the most embarrassing moment for the united states since <laughs> yeah, you're, we impe- you're, absolutely <laughs> i was gonna say since we impeached impeached the president for getting a blowjob well I would say the last impeachment was also an embarrassment. We impeached the president for uh, no reason, <laughs> like literally no reason. We impeach we impeached the current president, or we impeached the former president for what the current president did, basically. Yes, multiple times, but you know, yeah, cares? no. Anyway. I, I I was trying to make a joke, but yeah, no, I go. I, your joke, your joke was man <laughs> i'm an accountant give me a break yeah no let's move on let's move on okay so james we can criticize this you know to to helen back right this mm-hmm. is not going well obviously joe biden is hiding right now he is uh he just did a presser i believe and just the media was like oh questions and he's just like running <laughs> out you know like he's gone okay we can we can criticize it we know that joe biden doesn't care we know that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But what are we, what would we do? Okay, as as an imperialist yourself, and as an isolation myself, what would our solutions be? Okay, well, what's your plan here, James? If if you know, let's go back to prior to us pulling out, or during the pullout, if you if you wanna if you wanna pull out, what how would you go about the pullout? So I would like I want to preface this by saying that I wouldn't support the war in Afghanistan to begin with. Um, Patrick repeatedly refers to me, refers to me as an imperialist, and he's not wrong. I do believe that America should project its power, but only when it has when it stands to gain something. Yeah, and I'm um, going to disagree with him on. I I think that the we should have been there. We should have been there, but it's, well, I think we're going to take. I think it's going to be interesting because I think we're going to have exact opposite viewpoints. Yeah, well, I would have supported going in to eliminate specific targets, but not to go exactly. in and occupy the. Gra- Afghanistan is called the graveyard of empires for a reason. The three, three of the four greatest empires on Earth in the history of Earth have attempted to occupy Afghanistan, and all of them have failed. Britain, Russia, and the U.S. have all failed to occupy Afghanistan. Who, it has who earned- succeeded? No one. Oh, the, uh, the, the Mongols. The-, the Mongols succeeded, didn't they? Uh, for a very brief period of time, hey, success. <laughs> the golden, uh, was it, no, it wasn't the golden horde. It was the Ilkhanate con- uh, controlled it. I mean, like, okay, so you have Persia and like the actual Arabian uh, and Persian empires, but yeah. I mean, they're from the region. They're not foreign powers. The fourth, yeah, the fourth one about, was we're Rome. talking about completely foreign entities trying yeah. to claim Afghanistan. The fourth one was Rome, and they never got past Syria. So I mean, that they never actually got into Afghanistan. Yeah, but well, Rome was just a, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> so now let's let's fast forward. Let's say okay, we've been there for twenty years. Um, 
I would have taken a much more shock and awe approach. Um, well, in, okay, I want to clarify. What at what point are we allowed to intervene with our ideas? <laughs> because there's oh, so point, many this points. This is all about our ideas. This is what what would we do? Is okay. kind of the question here, right? If we're gonna if we're gonna criticize, like, and this is what you know, because we're center to center right here, because we criticize things, we we only criticize them when we could think we could do better, right? Like we're yeah. not gonna we're not just gonna complain just to complain. We're gonna try to come up with solutions here. They might not work. We might be talking out of our butts, but at least we're gonna try. Right. And I mean, of course, we're gonna probably disagree on what the right path would have been. Yeah. So okay, let's say, okay, so I didn't have control until we were there for I wouldn't have kept us there for 20 years, number one. Um the, the issue is that we went in, we basically, you know, we conquered the country and did what the former two empires attempted to do and install a local government that was completely weak and corrupt and then poured tons of money in and thousands of our own blood, sweat, and tears, our own lives into maintaining this government that was bound to fall the second that we leave. You know, we, we saw it happen with Russia. We saw it happen with Britain. There's absolutely no reason that we should have thought that it was going to be any different. Afghanistan, a foreign power, a, a non-Arabic power cannot control Afghanistan. I am convinced of that at this point. Um, I mean, and, I, think, I think they can. I just don't think it's going to be moral or legal <laughs> to do so. I mean, yeah, maybe if you get the PRC in there to, you know, which exercise. They, which they are moving in there. For those of you guys who don't know, they are actually in talks with the Taliban to build a highway to yes. Kabul from China. It's yes. thing with Russia as well and Pakistan. So. Well, I mean, Pakistan has been support has been a haven for the Taliban this entire time, and we're sitting exactly. there giving them ten million dollars. We'll get more to Pakistan with my ideas, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So let let's just fast forward and say, okay, it's been twenty years. How are, we want to pull out? We're finally going to pull out. How are we going to do it? We it has to be gradual, and we have to maintain our support of the Afghan government. Um, it is it was weak, it was corrupt, and it was far too dependent on us. Yeah. So you can't you can't wean them off of the American taxpayer's dollar and more importantly the bombs that come with it in just the course of a few months. It's specifically the airplanes, as I mentioned before. Yeah, no, you need years. I'm talking yeah. years to and you're basically gonna have to accept that Afghanistan is no longer gonna exist. There's gonna be two countries. There's gonna be Afghanistan and Talibanistan. There's not gonna be yeah. one united country. Um so I, I would have taken a much slower, but much more heavily heavy handed approach. And it, we wouldn't have, assuming that we're still on the same timetable, we, we decided to get out in you know mid 2020. My timetable wouldn't have seen us leaving probably for three to four years as we, tra as we found ways to transition over. The issue is, I don't know how you solve for such a weak and corrupt government. Because the second that you leave, even if you slowly wean them off, you're not going to, um, they're, they're not going to be able to maintain control of the situation. So I think that knowing what we know now, um, the, the correct choice would have been to use our air power to slow the Taliban's advance as much as possible. And I'm going to be honest, we started the situation. The, the, the situation that the Afghan people are in right now is, a, is chaos, is a disaster of our own making. We, got, we interfered when we shouldn't have. We, we occupied their country for 20 years, wasted our own time and money when we shouldn't have. It's now our moral responsibility to get as many people out of there as we can. I'm not saying they need to come here. I'm not and, saying... And, and 
do you think that there should be restrictions on that? Like, basically, we have records of who worked with us. Should we start there? Yeah, I, th I think that anyone who worked with us and directly with us and with their family and and their families should be given priority status for refugee should be given priority for refugee status to the United States. Now, if now I mean, if I'm, we're fine talking with, I'm fine with them being citizens because clearly they. Honestly, compared to some of the people in this country, they care more about it. Yeah, so I 100% agree. They care more about the ideals of this country, necessarily speaking. I 100% agree. But then there's also people who, you know, maybe not didn't work with us, but they don't, they won't want to live under an Islamic state. So, well, you know. if they didn't work with us, and this is where we're going to differ, I, I would say if they don't, they didn't work with us, then, you know, that's too bad. You should have worked with us. Well, we should, we should <laughs> help. Anyway. I think I think we should help protect them as they attempt to flee to another country. So let's yeah. say they wanted to get to Saudi Arabia or Jordan, who are re relatively stable states, powerful states that could protect them and, and more liberal in the true sense of the word. Yeah, I mean they're both they're both kingdoms, but I yeah. mean, jo you know, Jordan and Saudi, Saudi Arabia is a I little mean, more. I mean, it's compared Jordan. to a caliphate, effectively, right? So yes, yes. So let's yeah. let's say Jordan, because Jordan is significantly more liberal than than Saudi Arabia, and you know, I mean, they are on the opposite side of Iran, so that would pose a problem. But we should have we should have offered ways for people who wanted to leave to leave. And this um, would come up with your timetable of three to four years. There would have been a whole process for like, hey, we're pulling out. Any of you guys want to go? Yeah, if you've worked with us specifically, you can come back. And if you haven't, at the time of this announcement, like you can't now start working with us and open right. to come, right? No, prior to this announcement, if you worked with us for any length of time, then you can come and we'll get you all set up with everything like that. But if you didn't and you still want to leave, we can communicate, we can be a mediary between Jordan and Saudi Arabia. Even Israel, I'm sure, would be open to some people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah. um. I think the issue that we've run into is: Are you you're are you're aware of the sunk cost fallacy? Yes, I'm I'm familiar with it. So for those of you who aren't, sunk cost fallacy is basically a mindset you get into where you've put so much time, effort, money, resources into a project, into whatever. In media, for example. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, into whatever, for example, and you you say, well, I don't want to. I don't want my my past investments to go to waste. So I must invest more in order to be able to recoup my investment. And that's what Iraq and in, in particular, Afghanistan has been. It's been a sunk yeah. cost fallacy. $1 trillion in thousands of US lives, 20 years, we can't let that go to waste. We have to make sure, you know, keep pouring resources in to make sure that Afghanistan is going to be this liberal, liberal bastion of democracy in, in the Middle East. And it was never going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. you can't, you can't give into the sunk cost fallacy, especially when the fate of an entire nation is on the line. And we did. And it's now our, it's our moral responsibility to do something about it. And this administration clearly has no intention to do anything about it. Um, my solution at this point, let's say, I, I let's say, you know, I, uh, August 17th rolls around and I'm now given control of the US government. I can do, do what I want to solve the situation in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, Biden I would, calls you up on the phone. He's like, uh, uh jacob uh you know <laughs> i uh need you to come in and uh you know uh, afghanistan or libya or something and then you know kamala harris takes the phone away from me he's like uh james uh we hear you're an expert and we need you to come in and uh deal with afghanistan because i can't go there all right and then you know you come in and you're now the expert at the table what, what's your plan uh very liberal application of high explosives 
Um, so All right. as I, as I said, it is our moral responsibility to get these people out of there and to be frank, but the only way to get them out of there at this point is to go back, kick the shit out of the Taliban again so that we can get them out of there. And then once we get everyone out of there who, who we can, um, and at this point, I think that's just the people, you know, the essential people, the people who worked with us, um, I I would love to be able to do as much as we can for people to flee to Jordan or Israel or Saudi Arabia. Um, but we'd only have so much time, so many resources. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I, in my opinion, that's what we need to do. We need to go back in there. We need to get these people out of there because otherwise, I mean, that's the blood of millions of people on the hands of the United States and in particular this administration yeah. and that, that they're literally condemning these people to death and oppression. And I'm not okay with that in any way, shape or form. And neither should the Biden administration, nor should it, nor should Congress. So someone needs to speak up and do something and just stop tweeting about it. You know, yeah. McConnell, McConnell and them are tweeting, Oh, Joe Biden, or Joe Biden needs to grow a spine. Yes, he does. And yeah, so do you, you also need to go out and do yeah, something about it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, let me get into what I would do, right? And this is going to be radically different. And I'm sure some people are going to be like, this makes no sense. But I will say what's going on right now, and I'm, obviously I have a background in this, follows 0% of any of the three main international theories of realism, liberalism, or constructivism, as far as I'm aware. Uh, you could make an argument for constructivism in the sense that they try to change the culture there. I don't think that was the plan. Thank you for making me huge. Um <laughs> I don't think that was the plan and clearly it didn't work regardless. So it definitely doesn't follow realism at all. And it doesn't follow liberal institutionalism at all either. I will say that. So regardless, now you said I wouldn't have gone at all, you know, going in and executing targets. Sure. And this is kind of my approach when it comes to intervention. And again, I'm very isolationist, but if we get attacked, if two of our towers gets blown up and 3000 plus American lives, um, get taken, save, it would have been much worse if not for the heroism of a select few Americans that I honestly don't see happening nowadays. To be completely frank with you, I think that the, the, the flow of heroes is very dry right now, let's just say. Um, I we, are in, we are in the weak men create hard times are, stage. We, no, we're in the weak men have been created phase. Like, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the strong men are too old nowadays to be able to do anything. I think that, and this is a topic that I want to discuss at the end of the podcast, but regardless, we've been attacked. Okay. This is 2000, you know, this is right after nine 11. This is September 12th. We've been attacked clearly and concisely. How do we respond here? We're a major world power. China has yet to really rise in the way that it is nowadays. And Russia's, still reeling from the fall of the Soviet Union, right? Mm -hmm. We are- Yeah, this the, is a decade later, not we, even. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, we are the world power. We are the preeminent power on the world stage. Anything we want to do, we can do. Like, whatever we want to do, basically. There's no one that's going to oppose us. You know, we, when we went into Iraq, every country was like, Sounds except good, for, buddy. Except for France, which is where their bad reputation comes yeah, from. Yeah, exactly. But regardless, aside from that, we basically just did whatever we wanted to do, right? This is 2001. This is not 2021 where we're basically enfeebled by uh, Bush's presidency, uh, Obama's presidency, and now Biden's presidency. 
Um, we were trying to get back there in the last four years, but you know the liberal establishment wasn't too keen on that, to say the least. Regardless, what I would have done is say, okay, who attacked us? Osama bin Laden. Great. Where is he hiding? We think somewhere in Afghanistan or Pakistan, right? Like we weren't exactly sure as far as I'm aware. This is based on my minor amount of research because I haven't really looked too much into this topic, but we have a general idea. So we just tell people like, hey, if Osama bin Laden's in your country, we're coming. You know, like we're on our way. We are going to be there. We are going to get him. And if anyone stands in our way, we will treat them exactly how we're going to treat Osama bin Laden. And if Pakistan's like, no, you cannot come in our country. That's illegal. Like, okay, well, you're harboring effectively a war criminal or someone who has effectively declared war in the United States. You're harboring our opponent. Let us in or else we will treat you like Osama bin Laden. We will treat him as a combatant from you. We are coming. Give him to us like on a silver platter or else, basically. We, we should have that attitude towards Pakistan, towards Afghanistan. And my thought process when it comes to international interference is if it's gonna if it can be done in under 90 days, it will be done in under 90 days. You have 90 days to achieve whatever goal you want, and then anything beyond that, Congress has to sign off on it, effectively the people, although we all know that they don't necessarily represent us. Well, that's how the War Powers Act works, it, isn't it? it? I think so. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how the War Powers I, Act works. I don't, I don't know if it's, it's 90 days. Since but... the War Powers Act has been enacted, Congress continuously just says, uh, extend the 90 days, extend the 90 days. We don't want to make a decision we, because they're cowards, right? Yeah, because we never officially declared war on, on Afghanistan, did we? Nope. Uh, I'm pretty sure we haven't officially declared war on like a state since Vietnam. I don't even know if we declared war in Vietnam. We did not declare war in Vietnam, Vietnam but yeah. we, I think we did declare war in Iraq in 1990. In yeah, 1990s. Desert Storm. I believe yeah. it does. But, and I want to point out, how efficient were we in Desert Storm? We were in and out, I believe, 28 days. Yeah, like, Operation Desert Shield was actually the longer thing yeah, there. Exactly. Like, and I think that was only 90 days or something like that. It was yeah, really it wasn't short. Long. It was really, really short. I played the video game, and there's like five missions. Okay. It's really short. That's going to be like on my tombstone. I played the video game. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a, it was, we were in and out. Like, I don't understand these people. They're saying, oh, well, it takes time. No, it really doesn't. Send over a group of Marines, take them out. Like, that's all you really need. So we have bases all over the goddamn world. We can make it there. And under a day, we can have an assembled fighting force in any country, basically, at this point. And we can t take out whomever we need to take out. That would be my approach. 90 days in and out, easy. Now, let's say that I don't come in. I come in uh, 2004, okay, and I'm the commander-in-chief, right? We're in Afghanistan now at this point for three years. What are we doing there? I come in and go, okay, give me give me the lowdown on F on. On Afghanistan right now, right? Like we're in Iraq, and that's that's a whole different story. Um, and they're like, okay, well, we have control here, here, here. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's. Why are we nation building? This is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Why are we should never be nation building unless we have complete control over the country? Like Japan? Oh yeah. South Korea? Oh yeah, totally. Why not? It take it's going to take a couple generations. Well, I also want to point out so the this, the cases where we successfully built nations, West Germany, Japan, Korea, the people wanted us yeah. there. They the wanted people, to cooperate. Yeah. And, and not to mention the history. They 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 in the case of West Germany, they had a history of of uh, like and and the case of Japan for that matter, have a history of being at least accepting to western culture. 
and oh, and extremely. I, J- Japan modernized, Japan westernized is the only nation in Eastern Asia to westernize all on its own, and yeah. did it so effectively that it began colonizing other East Asian countries itself. Yeah. By the way, I've got uh, a friend here. He has joined me. He has some words to say. What's up, Reggie? Thank you for sharing. Very um, insightful. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, no, but anyway, so 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 again, what I was saying though, yeah. um, I'm in there. Okay, no nation building. That's not our goal. Our goal here is to get, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden. Find him. Okay, bring him to me. Right, like that. That's the kind of attitude I would have with the generals, right, it, or, or whomever is in charge at this point. It could be anybody, um, because it's sure as hell the generals don't know what they're doing. If we've been there for 20 years and we had, and it took us 11 years to get Osama bin Laden, we should have been in and out 20 day adventure. Okay. Anyway, that's that's kind of my attitude the whole time is if we get attacked, and this is where I come from with isolation, I'm not going to go looking for a war. I don't want to go start a war. I'm not interested in gaining colonies. I'm not interested in gaining new states in the middle of Asia. Like, that's not what I'm looking for here, okay? We have a lot of problems that we need to solve here. Flint, Michigan, still, I'm pretty sure, has crappy water. Why the heck are we building water treatment facilities in Kabul, when we should be building them in our own darn cities. Why is Gary, Indiana, the murder capital of the United States? Get people in there, fix that, right? Fix all of these problems. We we could have taken that $1 trillion and pissed it away here. Why did we piss it away in their country? That's just, we're just, it makes no sense. And I know we're going to piss it away here, but at least we're pissing it away here. So some of it might make its way into actual productive projects. From a strategic standpoint, the argument was basically that we need an ally. This is on the other side of Iran. And basically, Afghanistan sits smack dab between Iran and China. Iran is a regional rival. I mean, like, we focus way too much on Iran just because I think it's easy. We can bully them around, whereas it's a little bit harder for us to bully around China. Um, well, okay. So, so my, my response to that, and I understand that, and that's a really good argument. We need to have geopolitical power in that region. But my response to that would be, okay, fine, build a base. Like, who's gonna? It's Afghan. Afghan's barely functional. They're not gonna be able to stop. Us I know. So building a base. Th- there. Two things, and this is why I don't. I don't like that argument. Number one. Afghanistan is called, again, the graveyard of empires. It yeah. is a complete waste of time. We knew it was a complete waste of time. Why even bother? Number two, India. For the love of God, India oh, hates I mean, China. I mean, India hates yeah, Pakistan. Absolutely. India hates Iran. Why? Like, And they're a functional country. See, and here's the thing. Why don't we give Afghanistan to India? <laughs> Why don't we give us? They, okay. they, they have a border, don't they? No, Pakistan's in the way. Oh, Although, well, I do have a... Pakistan. I do have a question. Why did we? So we found Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. Yeah, we correct. know that we know that the Pakistani government has been providing arms and shelter to the Taliban. Why have we never punished Pakistan? Instead, we we're them giving money. them foreign aid. Yeah, we give them money. Yeah, there no, was a I mean, period, there was a period of time money. where we were giving Pakistan money and sanctioning India in the early two thousands. It's it makes no Why? sense to me because it because they we're dumb. Like in all honesty, <laughs> like we're pretty dumb. When it comes to this kind of stuff, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm all, I, I'm fine with supporting India. You know, I'm building a base in India. I'm, I'm also just fine with like, hey, oh well, it's you know, Afghanistan has a great geopolitical, you know, it's a, uh, positioning, right, and, and just where where it lies in the world. Okay, fine. We carve off a tiny little part of it that we want because we can. It's 2000 again, starting in 2001. This is when I would begin. But even now, it's like, okay, fine, um, Kabul. You're moving. 
<laughs> You're moving. We need you over here. So this is where we're... You can stay there. That's fine. But we're going to build a city over here because that's what we want, right? Like, if, if that's how we're going to act, that's how we're going to act, okay? We're all... Like, like, if we're already there, we're already there. Okay, fine. Sure. But, I mean... Fine. Build up India. Fine. Build a base. Why the heck are we spending money on building water treatment facilities for random cities in Afghanistan? Why are we spending money training all these people because it's not gonna it, it it just it just doesn't make much sense to me when there's other things that we could could be solving i also want to have a response to something that has not been discussed yet but is the idea that we could turn afghanistan into a colony or nation or, or a 51st state or some crap like that i think that's a terrible idea i think that right now people are like oh we need to spread american values what values what american values do you want to spread because the people that say that are typically conservative i'm like dude have you looked at the american values that we have right now they're garbage they're so bad like why would i france doesn't even, they're so bad france does not want them france is yeah. in an uproar over over wokeism we would be spreading wokeism i don't want to spread the idea that you know you can do all kinds of crap that you can do in the united states to to your body over there or whatever pick so, anything close you I want to I, I want to interject with two things under sure. the under the correct circumstances I would of I would support the expand the physical expansion of the United States, um, not to Afghanistan. Again, yeah, there's nothing there. There's it's a, it's a completely bad idea. Well, there's there's um, a there's a couple trillion in natural resources there in their mountains, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll never be able to control the mountains. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, it also doesn't. The I mean, there's giants. The giants of Kandahar live there. We don't want to mess with them. Um, if anyone's familiar with that story, that's a fun story. I like that story. Uh, I do want to hear that story later. Um, okay. But uh, so not Afghanistan too. I want to address something that, that someone in the chat said. Um, Dinesh saw, I'm uh, going to apologize, apologize if I butcher, butcher this, but uh, Dinesh saw, saw and said that um, the title should be the fall of supremacy of the United States. Um, Russia lost the Taliban, lost the end, they uh, lost their supremacy. Now the United States has been defeated by the Taliban and have lost their supremacy. Um, also mentioning that you know the United States kind of created the Taliban via the Mujahideen, um, and I agree mostly with, with that statement. Yeah, I think this. I think we already seen, lost our supremacy a long time ago. Yeah, that's the that, effect of it. That's my thing. This is this is more the death throes of U.S. supremacy. Um, yeah. This is the this is the nail in the coffin and easily the most embarrassing moment for the United States on and is when it comes to foreign policy on yeah. the international stage in since the fall of Saigon. Um, and yeah, I think this is the end of American supremacy. And do you, I think could the United States win a conventional war? Probably, you know, maybe no, still. No, they're, they're, um, they're not ready. Our military, our fighting forces are not ready for a conventional war. We're so I mean, used to beating the crap out of just towelheads. At we, this we, point. Could, we could like, just random that. sheep herders, like it's just people that don't know how to fight. That's who we're used to fighting at this point. Yeah, we I mean, not, we could we could take Canada. Uh, I don't even know if we could take Canada. I think I, I don't know if that would even work. Like, and it's just, just, and if, and if, and if you get offended about me calling the Taliban sheep herders, then I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take the Stephen, Stephen A response here. I'm going to tell you right now, I really don't care. I don't yeah. like the Taliban. And there's a lot of other harsher terms I would be using other than what I've been using to describe them on this podcast. Because they're just terrible. They're terrible human beings. They shoot girls for reading. Like, what the heck? 
anyway, just wanted to address that in case anyone was getting their, their Jimmy's rustled over yeah. using certain words to describe uh, the Taliban. But, um, you know, something that people always mention, talk about when they mention the Korean or the, yeah. uh, Vietnam, the Vietnam War was that we didn't lose to North Vietnam. We lost to ourselves. We lost the will to fight. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of true when it comes to Vietnam. It's definitely not true here in Afghanistan. Yes, we don't have the will to be there, but that's not what defeated us. You know, we spent 20 years and over a trillion dollars and we couldn't we couldn't defeat the Taliban because... I mean, between the natural terrain and the the fanaticism of the people who who adhere to the Taliban's ideology, there's just no there there was no eradicating them, and there was no changing you know changing hearts and minds. I, I do so want to yes. say uh, I'm I'm being quoted in the chat as people who don't know how to fight. I mean, and I mean like obviously they can use guerrilla tactics. Okay, there's a bunch of different strategies that people can employ. I'm talking like they wouldn't know how to organize armor, air force naval capacities uh military presence the way that we do that's what I mean not, by that. they're not going to have a conventional military and, exactly. Exactly. and this is this is why the taliban lost so quickly when we invaded afghanistan in the first exactly. place because they tried to fight a conventional war against us for a couple of weeks got their teeth kicked in and then reverted to guerrilla tactics exactly. Exactly. that's, that's what i mean like they don't know how to fight obviously like you know they can they can fight us in guerrilla tactics and, and like blow up a, a landmine and then run back in the mountains like sure if, if that's, I don't know if you're criticizing me there, just quoting me as like something you want to quote me for. But I just but wanted I, to address that just in case. But I do, I do agree with the chat that yes, I think this is the end of that we were defeated by the Taliban here, yeah. and this is this is embarrassing, and the the nail in the coffin I think for American supremacy. And you know, I I'm a patriot. I believe that we can we can reestablish Amer American supremacy as soon as Milo gets off the counter. <laughs> as soon as Milo gets off the counter. Um. However, uh, yeah, I mean, fair it, enough. It's gonna take uh, a while. That, that quote, "Share what you know." Yeah, that that quote is true, I guess, except for the fact that I would say with with the Taliban, the last American combat death from one of our soldiers was in February eighth, two thousand twenty. So they weren't even very good at that in the last year. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's a good quote, though. I mean, showing your um, showing your opponent some some level of respect, but I guess at the same time, it's like. You know, uh, I think that had we not operated this conflict with two hands tied behind our backs and uh, along with two of our legs tied behind our backs, probably could have could have done a little bit of a better job. Regardless, I want to I, I do want to yeah, I do want to talk about what that comment brought up in the sense of um, you know the the death of American supremacy and and this ties into something I've been talking to a friend of mine. Um, lately, who's she's complaining that she can't find any, like any good guys or whatever. She's having guy trouble, basically. And what I tell her, and she doesn't like hearing this, is I say, how you market yourself is how other people are gonna gonna, you know, kind of deal with you. Um, I market myself as someone who's fairly blunt, blunt, fairly brash. But you know, if I give you a compliment, it's not because I'm trying to just butter you up or sugarcoat it and make you feel better or anything like that. It's because that's generally how I feel, right? If I say, oh, you have a nice smile, people go, oh wow, like that means a lot because. You know, he just kind of says says what's on his mind. But if you market yourself as someone who's like, you know, very, uh, you know, and I don't want to necessarily throw out insults here, but like fairly easy, right? Uh, you know, not easygoing. Okay, let's say, um, right, when it comes to dating and uh, not super into commitment and that kind of crap, um, then don't expect people to treat you with a certain level of respect or commitment that you might be expecting. 
you know, they're going to treat you how you treat yourself. And I think that that's what we need to look at with when it comes to the United States as well is in the last, the, the previous administration uh, in the Obama administration, uh, he was famous for saying that we need to lead from behind. You know, we need to uh, approach whatever situation we're in and, uh, you know, approach it multilaterally. We need to make sure we have tons of allies with us because we don't want to look like we're intruding too much. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. It's always good to have allies. But the over-reliance, I think, on allies and having multilateral um, advances, I think, really hurt um, our ability to present ourselves as a as a as the power that we were. And I think that the controlled, the managed decline, I believe is what the term I brought up earlier, uh, yeah. a couple episodes ago, managed decline was really in effect here. And just the way we treat ourselves like a joke. So the world's going to treat us like a joke. We've consistently in this administration treated several conflicts like a joke. We didn't move in and, and, and some points in the last couple of years of the previous administration as well. I'm not going to let Trump escape this. Um, we didn't go in in Hong Kong. We should have. We should have said, "Hey, China, back up, or we're coming in. We're gonna go help out Hong Kong, who's our ally, who's not yours." You know well, this. Like, you know and, this and, is same thing, same thing with with uh, Cuba. Same thing here with Afghanistan. Same thing with uh, leaving the Kurds out to dry. And again, this, like I said, this is not just Joe Biden. This is Trump, and this has been Trump. I think in the last few years specifically, it just seems to me that we treat ourselves like a weak middle power. So everyone else is now going to treat us like that. Like the Taliban should not be defeating us. We should be kicking their butts, but we're not because I think we're treating ourselves like a joke. We're marketing ourselves like a second rate, you know, hand me down piece of cereal box. So that's what we're going to be treated like. I agree. And I think there's, you have, to, it's a very difficult question because I'm, I'm um, censoring myself a lot in case that yes. my, my jarbled mess of a sentence there, I had to stop, uh, you know where I was going with piece of. So. Yes. Um, so George Washington's, you know, he made the point that we shouldn't be fighting in every revolution in the world. Otherwise, we'd never stop fighting. And it's not yeah. the U.S.'s place to intervene in every police, single. Yeah, yeah, we're not the world police. It's not our job to intervene in every single conflict. Um, it, there are situations, you know, where we need to we need to go in. And I think it's particularly when um, the actions of another nation th or, or organization what have you threaten um threaten our place in the world stage threaten our citizens and threaten our ideals so i i would have happily seen us deploy the military to hong kong um and i mean technically that could be considered an act of war but hong kong is an autonomous region per their per china's treaty with uk from 1997 so as long as the uk said it was okay i mean re and realistically we could have deployed troops there yeah um i obviously look behind me i support us defending taiwan um and and i it's it's a, it's a difficult question where do we get involved when do we know how do we know when to draw the line and you have to go at it on a case-by-case -case basis um and i think in this situation we've dug ourselves a hole where we now have a moral obligation to continue to intervene at least long enough to get these people to safety um and I, I also I also was spent a lot of time looking this up. Uh, so total coalition deaths, including the United States, um, were three thousand five hundred sixty-two over the last twenty years. Taliban and Al Qaeda deaths combined were over fifty-three thousand, and that is a low estimate. So when Patrick says they don't know how to fight, comparatively speaking, they don't. 
However, um, and this is the probably one of the greatest uh, vulnerabilities of a democracy. And this actually informs our doctrine where we use artillery and, and air force more than we do um, infantry on the ground. A, a single death for a democracy's military is a public spectacle. It's a tragedy and it gains a lot of attention, um, which is why we'll, we'd rather drop a million dollar bomb to kill you know half a dozen Taliban than send in a squad and risk one of our own people dying. We place a much higher value on life. The people who are fighting don't. They don't yeah, care they how many of them die. They're just going to keep Because they're going to get their eternal reward, or at least they think so. You know, like that's what yeah. they're thinking. And, that, and that's something that, you know, we realized in Vietnam and why we switched from napalming the entire jungle to trying to change hearts and minds. But when you have adherence to an ideology as extreme as the, as the Taliban, um, there's no changing their hearts and yeah. minds. And, and we can and change the... We can change the hearts of my hearts and minds of the Afghani people, but that too is a long process, especially when we're trying to to, to turn them into a Western dem uh, democracy based in more or less Judeo-Christian values. And yeah, and, and that's what we did in Korea and Japan. But remember, in Korea, it took thirty years plus. I'm pretty sure. I think it actually took closer to thirty-seven. They they, they weren't a democracy until the late eighties. Yeah, 90s. they weren't. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm going from like the 1950 to like yeah. 1987, I believe, is when they had their sixth republic, right? Uh, so yeah. it took it took a really long time, and we were willing to do that back then. Um, and also, you know, I think that uh, South Korea has a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit of a better location for us than than Afghanistan is, uh, personally. And but the people actually wanted that. They were trying, and they didn't have an insurgent uh, anti-government force there like the, the Taliban is. So it was a mm -hmm. lot easier as well. Like if we were looking at this in the same vein as, as North uh, or using South Korea, I, it could take us 50 plus years easily because we're going to be there. There wasn't active resistance to our, our uh, positioning there besides obviously North Korea, but we weren't really con like concerned with changing hearts and minds in North Korea. We were more concerned with no. uh, the, the, just trying to cut them off and trying to uh, essentially starve them out, which obviously hasn't happened because, but um, although Kim Jong-un is doing, doing a better job of that than we are um, regardless, it would have taken a significantly longer chunk of time than we would be willing to spend to do what we did in South Korea in Afghanistan. And I agree with you. It'd been a waste of time, which is why I'm saying like, it should have been a 90 day exercise, go in there, do what we need to do and get out. Or alternatively, and th this is something that I kind of alluded to, we we declare an open official war on Afghanistan or on Pakistan uh, through an act of Congress. Those are your two options as far as I'm concerned, because you shouldn't have a 20-year occupation that has not been declared as an official war or mm -hmm. is, is a nation-building exercise. Our army is not supposed to build nations. Army has one goal, kill our enemies. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to kill our enemies and and second by uh, uh, tangentially defend us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as well, that's all it does. It doesn't. It's not a social experiment. It's not uh, a nation building exercise. It's not a group of people there to educate on the values of democracy. It's a group of people there to as, essentially eliminate our enemies, take them out, and get the crap out of there and come back home. You know, like that's what they're supposed to do. That is the purpose of a military. When, when you're playing a game, you don't send your military in there to rebuild someone else's city. You send it in there to capture it, 
and then you go in and you rebuild their city as your own, right? Like that's kind of how the military progresses. So I don't, I just, it, I think this bodes very poorly for the United States going forward. I think it is a hallmark of our current administration's foreign policy. I think it's just going to be getting much, much worse. I could see in in the near future, more and more countries falling and China just moving in. China's sphere of influence is going to grow immensely here. Well, I mean, yeah, and when it comes well, when it comes to China, I think our only logical um, move there is to prop up India because India, yeah. you know, that's is all we have left to us, honestly, at this point. Yeah. Well, India, Japan. I mean, you've seen Japan is openly saying that they will go to war with China if China attempts to invade Taiwan, and Japan's never been that brazen since you know 1939. Never so. been that brazen since we nuked them twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For uh, being brazen, to be honest. But so I want to do two things as we wrap up here. Sure. What do you what do you predict is going to happen going forward? And then I want to get to a couple of the couple of the comments in the chat, and then we'll sign off. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I I I'm gonna make a prediction. I think that is potentially wrong, but it's a fifty fifty shot for me at this point. I think that we're gonna be sending more troops in there. I think we're gonna be ramping up our our. Uh, this this attempted ex uh, withdrawal there's going to be all of these images of women and children getting murdered and all kinds of well which is the plan of the taliban anyway but all kinds of crap is going to come out there about how dire the situation is and joe biden's gonna be like whoa i'm required to go back in and solve this problem again and send in like thirty thousand troops you know we're going to be multiplying by a factor of 10 our fighting force there and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse that's what i think is going to end up happening See, I don't, I honestly, I'm going to take the opposite approach. I don't believe that we're going to want to try to reoccupy Afghanistan at this point. I think that, I think that China's going to move in. I think that they, they, you know, they've been already been negotiating with the Taliban for the last couple of months that we know of, um, at least. Yeah, it could be much and longer. I think that you know, you know, Iran is supportive of the Taliban, and they're probably going to go in there and you know they're going to take the infrastructure that we built, the equipment that we provided. And China and Iran are going to train Taliban fighters. They're going to, you know, resubjugate the country. And I think I do think they're going to be a little bit more just liberal enough compared to how they were in the 90s to not get the rest of the world to invade them again. Because this is the same strategy that China uses. China opened up it, its markets just enough to entice other countries to come in. And they do just good enough job hiding the fact that they're committing genocide to make us not <laughs> have to. It's, and then and then Disney thanks them for it. Of course. Yeah, and then Disney right. thanks them for allowing them to film right next like to the concentration camp. Company. It's really, really disgusting stuff. Yeah. But I don't think, I, I think that uh, Afghanistan is lost. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see a good path going forward um the someone was trending on twitter today invoked the 25th amendment um which i think is eh, almost as terrifying i, mean, it, I think this there. is an embarrassing situation and a complete dereliction of duty and the, or, and, okay, okay let me rephrase that i think that this is an embarrassment of the administration and an embarrassment of the united states i don't think it's impeachment worthy in the sense of like high crimes or misdemeanors no okay. i don't I, I don't think so either but it, it at, oh my god the this this level of incompetence that and and if you there. voted for joe biden this is what you guys voted for like isn't it wonderful no more mean tweets but we will be able to see women and children getting rounded up and murdered it's gonna be awesome 
Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm I saying mean, that with like awesome as in like not good, but like on all, you know, like in the in the actual all full, right? They used to mean the same thing, but yeah. The uh the and, and here's here's one thing I want to say, and this has been mentioned in the comments before. Why don't we just train them to defend themselves and promote ideas of liberty and democracy and freedom and all these other kinds of crap, right? Why don't we just do that? That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, except that um, the problem with that is not every, and this is going to come up as a shock to some people who don't understand this, not everybody has our ideals. Our ideals are Western. If you think of equality as universal, you are mistaken. You are completely wrong. Equality, freedom, liberty, all of these different ideals, they are an aberration. They are not normal. They are very rare to find. They are not supported by nature. They are not supported by political environments. They're not supported by the, the they're just, they're just not real in the sense of like naturally occurring through just random chance. A lot of times they're influenced by very, very important people, very important books. Um, and some might say divine intervention. Okay. The, this is the ideas of of the West are an aberration. They are held by a minority of people across the globe, and it is incredibly difficult to spread them, particularly when we're doing such a poor job of managing ourselves. I would rather deal with a tyranny at home before I deal with a tyranny in Afghanistan. To be completely honest, I well, care about I care more about Flint, Michigan, than I do about Kabul, Afghanistan. And and I agree, you know, on the, on the surface. Although I will stress that it is because we got them into this mess. It is our moral obligation to get them out, and I and I will stand by that. I I, I, I never went to Afghanistan. I didn't well, put anyone in any mess. It is the United States moral obligation. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I get what you're saying. Get, get what you're to, saying. to get them out, and I will yeah. say that my thoughts and my prayers do go out to the people of, Afga of Afghanistan, and I hope that our government will you know put on their pants and get out of bed grab their walker and actually do some, do something yeah. here. Um, but, but that's, that's why they're not, that's why you see all these fighting age men jumping on the airplane because they have no real tie to a country of Afghanistan. They have a tie to their tribe. And, and that's not like a, like a liberal versus conservative tribes kind of idea. That's th their legit tribe. They, they, these are a bunch of tribes and they have ties to their tribes and they need to get the heck out of there. Right. They don't have a tie to the country. You also have to understand that when it comes to, you know, we can't really criticize them because they're just civilians. And yeah, the United exactly. States, is, the United States is very point. unique in the fact that most of our citizenry would be, well, I'm, a large portion of our citizenry would be able to take up arms and fight about as effective, at least as these Taliban fighters, if not more yeah. effective. Um, and and that, the thing is, the thing the is our, our army is majority volunteer. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's all volunteer. It is, a, it is, a, it is an all volunteer yeah. force. I don't know if we could say the same about their army. I don't know what their the composition of their army is. Yeah. Or not the Taliban, the uh, Afghanis. Like, oh, uh, it's a, it's a conscript, conscription volunteer yeah. mix. So, like, there you go. Like, that's those are completely two different values. To them, it might seem crazy that you volunteer to go to a different country and fight. Like they might be like, oh, well, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing going over there and potentially dying? You're stupid. Like that could be how their reaction. But to us, it's patriotic to go out there and um, defend America on the world stage, right? For even if you disagree with the country, I know plenty of servicemen and women who disagree strongly at varying points of their lives with their country while they're serving it. 
but they have such a strong tie to the nation that you know they're uh they're 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 comfortable they're like you know what well i don't necessarily agree with the government but i agree with the nation so i'm going to do it kind of kind of idea uh so the only thing i want to touch on in the chat before we sign off tonight um Dinesh once again says, without closing the border to Pakistan, they were trying to defeat the Taliban, even though the USA knew that they developed the Taliban in Pakistan. Um, and he also says that China will develop the Silk, the Silk Road and lay gas pipelines through Afghanistan. It's all, I mean, it's all correct. Now, there's absolutely nothing standing between um, Iran and China, who are nominal allies to begin with. Um, and there's China's sphere of influence is completely unbroken all the way to i mean they you know even have influence in iraq so now we're back to where we started we are friends with jordan and saudi arabia yeah. and israel and we've continued to not have friends in the rest of the rest of the middle east and now china has stepped in in our stead so yeah i mean i they're I, the u.s i think is no longer the superpower i nuclear sure but i mean russia can match us in that um, we still have the largest standing military in the world, but th- between our, our problems at home and our embarrassments on the world stage, our managed decline, we are th- there. There is no one sole superpower anymore. The United States is a global power. Russia is a global power. Too, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's 100% our us. fault. And China is now a world power. And I do think that you could still probably rank it US one, China two, Russia three, but it's no, there's no longer this huge gap. It's, it's very, very small. For us to be a sole superpower, it requires us to be able to defeat both China and, and Russia simultaneously, which we cannot do. No, not anymore. We have decided we have, we have made as a country, we have made the decision to not be able to do that anymore. Yes. That's what we've done. This honestly, and Patrick says, this is our own fault. And I want to end tonight by saying that is one reason why we started a podcast like this, because we want to be able to have these conversations. Hopefully we can encourage some of you guys to also take up the fight and regain or reestablish what it means to be in America, uh, what what the American dream is. And until we figure out our own problems here, we're not going to be able to project our superpower status on the global stage. And maybe that doesn't matter to everybody, but um, our status as a superpower is a side effect of our our ability to fulfill the American dream and, here and on American you, soil. Yeah, exactly. To those of you who say that it's, oh, I don't care if we're a superpower. Okay. Well, and this is all I'm going to say. Look at your gas prices over the next couple of months. Look at the price of your food over the next couple of months. Look at the price of your anything you buy over the next couple of months. And then let me know if that affects you. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. And if it doesn't, excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Absolutely. Well, thank you uh, for watching us tonight. We will be back on Friday uh, at 7 p.m. Central Time to talk about. We have not decided the topic for Friday, although we have quite a few ideas um, a couple of them are going to be just as heavy as tonight, and uh, I've got also a lighthearted idea if um, we're feeling a little too depressed because of the news cycle. So, yep. Uh, and, and, and as some some people might know from who are friends on Facebook, you know, I, I my attitude right now is I, th- I I always think we've hit rock bottom, and then someone brings a shovel. <laughs> so we, I'm sure there'll be something to surprise us. 
at the end that of the is day. that is unfortunately true but if uh if you guys like our conversation if you think that it if that what we're saying matters and that other people should be able to hear please share our uh, podcast and you know like subscribe follow us um and come back and talk with us again thank you guys for watching and we'll see you on friday